Welcome to the Blueprint for Better Business podcast, hosted by me, Charles Wookie. 11 years ago, I co-founded the charity, A Blueprint for Better Business, with the aim of helping create a better society through better business. I ran it for 10 years, working mostly with leaders of large companies who, for their own reasons, have sought to transform their businesses to become purpose-led. In this series, we're speaking to some of these leaders and change makers and explore the realities of creating purpose-led businesses. This is always both a personal and organizational challenge. So the conversations explore both the personal motivation of these leaders, as well as what they've done and learned in their leadership roles. In different ways, they're all pioneers of a way of thinking and acting, which releases the latent potential of people and puts business at the service of creating a better world. But the stories are always personal and different. My successor, Sarah Gillard, and I have found them all inspiring, and we hope you do too. If you enjoy this podcast, please take the time to leave a review. It helps others to find it. Thank you. My guest today is Gillian Harrison, who's the chief executive of White Fox. White Fox has developed a brain technology enabling top-grade ethanol and other chemicals to be produced with less energy and water consumption, both increasing profitability and reducing environmental impact. I was keen to talk to Gillian because she has such an interesting personal journey as a lawyer who then has become the successful CEO of a technology business, and also because of her decision as CEO to transform that business into a purpose-led one, making explicit what was already implicit in its foundation and in the process creating a vibrant and thriving business. So today I'm with uh, Gillian Harrison, who's the chief executive of White Fox. Gillian, thank you so much for giving me your time to explore together this question of purpose-led business and your own journey in leading a company. And it's lovely to sit in your boardroom and I see on the wall, White Fox is a purpose-driven company with your adaptation of Blueprint's five principles, um, which is great to see. So Gillian, thank you so much. And I think it would be helpful for people if you just maybe explain a little bit about White Fox. What is it? How big is it? What does it do? Yes, absolutely. And thanks, Charles, for asking me to do this podcast. Uh, I love the whole idea of Blueprint, so happy to chat about it. Um, so White Fox. White Fox is, uh, of course, a purpose-led business. And what is our purpose? Our purpose is to reduce energy and water in industrial processes. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe by doing so, we can help society to produce more by wasting less. So that's kind of like our purpose. Okay. Uh, how do we do it? Well, we develop uh, membrane-based solutions. A membrane effectively is just separating different molecules, in our case, mainly water. So we're taking water out of different solvents. Uh, and the reason we've chosen to focus on that is that it's uh, the, the kind of chemical separation step, which most people don't really talk about, consumes about 15% of all energy in the US and therefore globally. So that chemical separation step is responsible for a very large chunk of carbon emissions. And so we've decided if we can come up with solutions to significantly reduce the amount of energy and water needed to separate things, actually, we can make a very large impact on reducing emissions globally. Right. And so who are your main customers for that? So our customers vary. We have customers who are producers of vitamin C here in Scotland, in the UK, uh, to perfume manufacturers in Spain, big pharmaceutical groups like Bayer. So they all make different products in that process. They have a chemical separation step. And so they're using our membrane solutions to allow them to make their final product, so say vitamin C, but by wasting less of the solvent. So now with our membranes, they can reuse it. 
but they also use less energy in the process. So it's a very uh, broad spectrum of clients that could use our technology. Our main focus in terms of scale has been in biofuels, so the, the bioethanol um, markets in, in, say, like the US and Brazil. Uh, they're using our membranes in, in their production process to, again, reduce energy, reduce water, and make their process more efficient. And how big is the business? How many people do employ it? There are about 45 of us now, uh, growing quite rapidly now. So probably we found the group find great people. It should be about 70 people uh, by the end of next year. Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. So we'll come back to the organizational side of, of, of life a little bit later in the conversation. But I'd like to start, as you know, Blueprint's thinking is that becoming purpose-led is always both a personal and an organizational challenge. And so I'd, I'd just like to say, why, why do you do what you do? Mm, that's a very good question. Why do I do what I do? Well, I there are probably quite a few reasons. Uh, one thing that really drives me is that we're doing something, or pers- my personal role is helping our team to to make something that has an impact. Mm-hmm. So our success, so the extent that we're successful, means that you and I are sitting here, and I know that somewhere our technology is making a positive impact. So. Our team's efforts are helping to reduce carbon emissions, reduce water waste. So, you know, every day, whether it's a difficult day or an easy day, I know we're doing something good. Right. So, you know, I, I, we think of numbers. I know that our installations have reduced the equivalent in emissions of us having planted one and a half million trees. Yeah. So, so that feels great. So okay. that's one good reason. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is actually what we do is very creative. It's about solving problems that you don't necessarily know where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're developing new technology and new solutions and trying to get them into a market, it's not an obvious path. You know, you're going A to B. Mm-hmm. And actually, I might like that. I quite like the fact that uh, there's some uncertainty and there are problems to solve, and it's it's intellectually challenging. Right. And, I mean, your background is a lawyer. That's right. So can you tell me a little bit about how your own sense of career journey and your own personal purpose? Because studying the law doesn't immediately lead me to think, here's somebody who's really passionate about yes. sustainability and addressing these kinds of issues. I know what all lawyers are. But <laughs> so how did you get to where you are from there? What was, what was your path? So uh, my path from the law? Well, wherever you like to go, but how does, what's, what's influenced your choice of career? What, yes. Why have you done what you've done? So I don't really know how I ended up being a lawyer. It's one of these things you sort of, I don't know, suddenly you say, I want to be a lawyer, and, and, your, and your parents say, why? And say, I just want to be a lawyer. You know, I wasn't yeah. quite sure. <laughs> and I'm sure now, having looked back, how could I have been, you know, as a child, you don't actually know what it even means, right? It probably took me a long time to even know what it was even doing it. But anyway, so I, I did, uh, but the key thing, I wanted to do international. My mother is Spanish, always been brought up with different cultures and languages. So I knew I wanted to do something which was international. Yeah. And law lends itself to that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I practiced in a firm which is, everything is cross-border, everything is about different, different countries, different people, different cultures. So that was an attraction of going into law. I suppose that kind of problem-solving element that I mentioned earlier is, is something that I like. And I think, you know, when you're a lawyer, often I went into the commercial finance side, but you're often faced with different clients, with different issues, but you're trying to bring them together. So you're trying to work out where is the commonality between these two different clients. And, and how, you know, my role was to bring them together and reach a conclusion and a, an agreement as opposed to litigious. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. So that sort of like led me into that legal path. And then whilst I really enjoyed my time as a lawyer, 
And I was, you know, in practice for about 10 years. And it gave me a lot of broad experience. I spent a couple of years in Sao Paulo in Brazil doing a lot of oil and gas work. Uh, and that's actually where I came across ethanol. Right. And it's that connection between getting to understand the potential of, you know, developing an energy base based on biomass, you know, mm. above ground carbon rather than underground carbon and seeing how Brazilians, to them, it's normal. They've been using, you know, 27 to 100% ethanol in their cars since the 70s, right? right. So to them, it was normal. And I found it fascinating. I thought, what a, what a great idea that, you know, you could grow your own energy mm. uh, and keep on doing it. It's renewable. Uh, so I began to get fascinated with ethanol at that time and roll on a few years. I was getting to the point in my legal career of becoming a partner. And once you start that, it's very difficult to get off that. You know, once you're a partner in a big city law firm and see so you're making good money, um, but you're also very busy. So it's very yeah. difficult to even have headspace to think of something else. So I knew I had to decide, is that what I'm going to do? Mm. Uh, I was literally on the top of a double-decker bus on a Saturday morning heading down to to look at some uh, art, you know, as part of an art group that actually my law firm was running. And I thought, no, I'm not going to become a partner because there's more more stuff out there. Yeah. But, but the important thing for me was I felt I wanted to be part of creating something, yeah. whereas being a lawyer is transactional, you know, the nature mm-hmm. of it. So at the end of every deal, there's a glass of champagne and off you go to the next deal. But what happened? You know, did the did the deal go ahead? <laughs> did they did those companies build anything? Yeah. Was it positive, the outcome? You never get involved in any of that. Mm-hmm. And so I was starting to feel a bit of frustration, you know, itchy feet, feeling I wanted to be involved in something where there would be actually a, a more tangible outcome. Right. Uh, and then the other aspect was the taking of risk. Yeah. As a lawyer, you take no risk and you make no decisions. You basically present your client with advice and options and they're the ones yeah. that take decisions. They're the ones that are taking risk uh, and and then having to push something forward. And so I was starting to feel a bit frustrated with, with that limitation. Yeah. And I wanted to, to get involved with something where actually I would be responsible for the outcome, you know, yeah. I was going to actually have to commit to something. And so that was sort of, sort of a, a big realisation on the top of the double-decker bus. <laughs> and I literally resigned without having my future role for certain wow. because I felt, thankfully, I felt financially secure to take that kind of decision, one of the advantages of being a city lawyer. But I also felt if I didn't, I wouldn't have headspace or the mental capacity to think, well, what is it? What yeah. do I want to do? Yeah. And so what was the journey from there to White Fox? So as often these things happen through connections. So yeah. a good friend mentioned this company, White Fox, a few years previously. They were very early stage at that point, but I loved what they stood for. Mm-hmm. It was all about how can we make industrial processes more efficient? How can we reduce energy and water? And the, the founders behind White Fox are membrane experts, mm-hmm. so they knew that membranes are much more efficient than other forms of technology. So whilst the technology was still early stages, they asked me to be involved in the, as an advisory board member because I had the experience from Brazil and ethanol, which yeah. is the target market. Yeah. Uh, but also it's always good to have a lawyer involved. There's always yeah. something a lawyer can do. <laughs> so anyway, so I was on the advisory board. So I was seeing yeah. this company grow. And at that point when I decided I wanted to make a change, the company was seeing opportunities in the US for expansion. The world was really booming in terms of biofuels. So mm-hmm. This goes back to kind of 2006 right. stage. And one of the opportunities was with White Fox. They said, would you come on board and 
helped to open up the Brazilian ethanol market opportunity as well as being a lawyer. And I thought, well, I know what I have to be a lawyer. I have no idea what it means to open up the Brazilian market opportunity. But that sounds exciting. Uh, so I thought, well, why not take a risk? Okay. You know, how okay. long can it go? If anything, I would just learn. You know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. it would help me get more certainty as to what I wanted in life. Okay. So that's interesting. So, you I mean, so a number of people I'm talking to in this series are, have been involved with organizations and it's been about helping to reframe the organization around its purpose. But actually here there's a story of a, a purpose-led outfit that you were attracted by, the mm. fact that these, the crowd of people were doing interesting things, but based on a kind of positive vision for the impact they wanted to have on the world. Yes, absolutely. So you joined as a lawyer, you run the, the Brazil, grow in Brazil, and then what happens? So that's how it started, and, and it was exciting, so I'm glad I made that choice. I it felt a bit pioneering for me personally as well as uh, the business because we were going into new markets. And then the world changed. Well, so there it was, 2008, Lehman, as I was in Brazil. Brazil thought they were immune to the, to the, to the shocks of uh, subprime at that time. Uh, and then once Lehman's came, they realized, ah, the world is connected and we will suffer from the consequences. Okay. So basically, Brazilian ethanol went on hold. U.S. ethanol also took a dive. And uh, so early 2009, like many companies, White Fox went through a little bit of uh, soul searching and uh, the two founders asked me to take on the CEO role. Okay. So I thought, gosh, I have no idea what that means. I'll give it a go. How many people were White Fox at this point? Ooh, a handful. Okay. You know, probably, yeah, a good, good handful. So you're looking for... Uh, risk <laughs> opportunity. Oh, no, and then you no. got both. That's fantastic. Yeah, I did. I think my yeah. parents are scratching their heads thinking, <laughs> oh my God, my daughter could have gone on to get a partner at a big city law firm. Now, really yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you've been CEO now for 11 years. Something like that. Sorry. Is that what I'm understanding? 12, I'll get born in that. Yeah. Um, 12, 13 years. It was 2009. Yeah. So, tell me about the journey that White Fox has been on and what role has purpose, being purpose-led, played in how you've thought about and led the business? It's been so important. It really is what galvanizes all of us. So when sometimes when you're going through difficult times, as we did, and as we, we always will continue to, it's what brings the team together. Mm. So we always know what path we're on and that that's our objective is to develop a business that achieves that purpose as much as possible. So so I think that for me, that's what's kept us going. Right. So rolling back to early 2009, actually one of the first decisions I had to take was to sue our biggest client, okay. which was, uh, yes, a bit of a gulp moment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the details of it, but that was a, a defining moment for our business. Like, would we survive? You know, yeah. Would we survive multi-million dollar litigation in the New York courts? Uh, so that wasn't easy. And at the same time, we, given the, the macro situation at that time, we, we had to restructure, refinance, refocus our business, decide really what technology was going to, what, what um, applications, sorry, were going to allow us to achieve our purpose. But throughout all of that, what kept us going was a belief that what we were doing was right. Yeah. And that we, even though we were in the middle of very large litigation, and everything was, gets challenged in, in the courts. We knew that our technology worked. We knew that it was making a positive impact. Yeah. And we just wanted to continue to work together to, to achieve that. So I think, yes, when you have a strong purpose, mm. 
it's much more powerful than you could ever imagine because mm-hmm. it, it's what kept employees with us because they also loved what we did and they wanted yeah. to continue to support the business even through difficult times and that's what kept us the founders and the executive team also going so then you begin to grow the market develops you become bigger what have been the some of the challenges and the learning for you in keeping true to that purpose as you become a bigger outfit and what are some of the the barriers that you've had to overcome if there are any I mean, you certainly sometimes have conversations with shareholders who okay. who may think, yeah, yeah, that purpose sounds interesting. Whatever you can you can say that if you want. But at the yeah. end of the day, when am I going to get my financial return? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that's probably the the main time it comes up is uh, where you get that slight challenge between is the purpose really what we're all about? Are we about making a return for investors? And and, and I certainly had conversations like that. And how do you want um, that? Well, from my perspective, actually, the two are completely compatible. Yeah. So the more successful we are in delivering our purpose, the more money as a business we're going to be making because we only deliver our purpose by installing our technology. Right. Because it's when we install our technology that we allow a producer to save energy and water. Right. Yeah. And therefore they're paying us. So actually, by being more true to our purpose and therefore... For example, one of the things it drives is innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, we we when we are talking about R and D projects and developing new solutions, they're very focused on on why we're doing it. They're focused on achieving greater savings. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? If I achieve greater savings, I can justify a higher price mm-hmm. because the benefit to my client is obviously greater. Yeah. You know, I'm going to save them more money. I'm going to make their plant much more economically efficient. And as a result, our business proposition is stronger. Yeah. yeah. So they're completely compatible. They're completely compatible. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great starting point because you start, you and your colleagues started with a great idea, which could make a positive impact on society. So in that sense, it's a clear, a clean way of um, approaching life where a lot of businesses, I think, are having to transition from some products or services, which is quite hard to reconcile with a purpose to better yeah. the society with a kind of shift. When you've not been in that position at all. Yes. Which is, yes, as you say, fortunate, not easier. <laughs> the other thing I'd say is, you know, when people say it's all about making money, it's like if your purpose was to make money, then there's nothing special about your business. Yeah. Because every business I run, well, it makes or loses money, but that tells you nothing about yeah. what a company yeah. X is about. Yeah, yeah, and why people would join it and come all over it. So um, when we met, you, you took an interest in blueprints, of thinking and construct around being a purpose-led business. Mm-hmm. So given that you were already a purpose-led business, as you've described, um, what did Blueprints thinking bring that was useful for you? So I think, first of all, we were not using the term being a purpose-led business. Okay. We were probably sluffier in the way we described what we were doing. So whilst I knew we were about saving energy and reducing water and industrial processes, yeah. it wasn't as clearly stated yeah. as as once you know okay let's really describe what our purpose was so right. i think when i first met you and started to to get familiar with blueprint that then led to me to running some internal team exercises with the management team to get okay what is our purpose and so it helped us to distill what we were about so even though we haven't changed what our purpose was we probably weren't so clear okay. with ourselves in few words of what the purpose was. Okay. So that so, was a really 
helpful exercise. So making explicit what was implicit. Yes. And the, and being able to communicate it, as I say, with fewer words so that everybody can get behind it. It's okay. much easier for our employees and teams if, if you can say it succinctly. So it forced us to, um, or not forced, it created, it provided a structure mm. to facilitate that kind of a conversation. Mm. You know, we'd, we'd had conversations around, obviously, what's the company's mission, its vision. Mm. And that always, and that never really resonated so much with me. That felt very just, I don't know, MBA type, you must have a vision, you must have a mission, <laughs> but, but you're just having it for the sake of it yeah, because yeah. you feel... I have a company and once I grow up, I need to have a mission and a vision <laughs> and three key words that define me yeah. as a business. And and so I, I never, that didn't feel genuine. It felt just something one must do. Whereas Blueprint felt much more considered. And I love the whole story behind it of, you know, you and, and the people who were involved in the early days really thinking about the purpose of business and trying to come up with something that would work across different religions and cultures and that anybody anywhere in the world could get why there is this concept of purpose and blueprint. And so philosophically, it really appealed to me. And then the fact that you'd also thought through the different components of blueprint. So obviously, you have the purpose at the centre, but then what does it mean? So that's why, to me, it resonated much more than just having a mission and a vision. This felt more substantial and forced us to think about all the aspects both internal in terms of employees but also being a good citizen and 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 the external interaction with customers and suppliers and and making sure that we were really being thoughtful about all those components i felt as i guess as a ceo in my role at that time it really helped me to then also help the leadership team to think through all of those different components. And it took some time, you know, you're sort of thinking it through and it took time also for the leadership team to sort of feel, well, is something that is a bit more detailed the right way versus, you know, a more catchy right. kind of approach. But actually now, I mean, it's just brilliant. You know, it's our guiding, these are our guiding principles. We use them in all sorts of ways throughout the day. People will be in a meeting room and I'll hear, you know, people throughout the company even challenge each other. You know, if somebody might be suggesting a particular strategy, somebody else in the meeting room might say, well, that's not very blueprint, is it? And then people sit back and go, ah, hadn't really thought about it that way. Okay, good challenge. Maybe we should go about it in a different way. Right. So one of the things that, in a way, it's, I imagine, easier in a smaller company to do this, but one of the things that happens, I think, is, is if one becomes serious as you are, I've been for some time about this, you are looking more broadly at the impacts the business has than simply how much money we're making. Yes. So how, from a management point of view, do you know? How do you assess the extent to which you're keeping true to your purpose and including this, as you put it, the blueprint, the sort of the, the quality relationships with customers, suppliers, people, the communities you touch, and the environmental impact, which obviously the core of your business is about improving that. But what kind of dashboard do you have that tells you, Gillian, mm-hmm. that CEO, yeah, we're doing okay on that? What do you look for? So it's an excellent question. And one that we sometimes grapple with, like how do we really measure mm-hmm. our performance against our blueprint? 
So the more straightforward ones are the ones that are easier to put a number against. So, for example, we measure the amount of energy we are saving through our installations and how much water we're saving and therefore translate that into also the impact on carbon emission reduction. Mm -hmm. So we measure that and we report against it in our annual accounts. Uh, So we specifically report shareholders on Blueprint. We will talk about the four areas of Blueprint, again, even to our shareholders. We Mm -hmm. report on that and talk about initiatives that we might be taking. And uh, I'd say some of the others are are more behavioural. I don't know, for example, to get to with our employees, the concept of being a responsible employer feeds itself into how we try and encourage our employees to be with each other and also how we are as an employee with them. Yeah. Uh, so we're very open. Or we, we've It's helped us to be more transparent right? because so, we're much more conscious of it. Yeah. So I guess we measure ourselves through our employees, through our employee surveys. Yeah. So we ask questions which are linked to Blueprint. Yeah. And therefore yeah. get feedback from them okay. on where we may be and not doing as well as we would like, it gives us guidance as to how to improve as an employer. As I say, we ask our questions in the context of Blueprint, so that then enables us to then report to our employees, okay, you said this, we listened, this is what we're going to do, or this is what we have done, and then we report back to them. So it helps hold us to account as a a management team, if you like, as an employer. That's great to hear. So, Jenny, what's the biggest mistake you've made, and what did you learn? Gosh, the biggest. Where does the list start? I don't know. Um, I guess one mistake uh, or something that I would describe as a mistake goes back to the one I mentioned in the early days. So when we were in that litigation, there was a moment in time where we could have settled earlier. Mm. And I listened to other people's advice. So my, my instinct was we should settle and then get on with our business. So... You know, even though the amount was, it was still a very large amount, but it wasn't as much as we thought we deserved, yeah. if you like, yeah. even though we thought we could gain. Yeah. And so others, in particular, some of our larger shareholders said, no, keep going, keep going. Right. And that was a mistake. Okay. And I looked back and I, I remember what I felt at the time. Yeah. But I didn't feel confident enough okay. because it was still relatively early in my CEO journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I was listening to people who are older okay. and I thought, oh, they must know best. Right. So right. what that has since taught me is to make sure that I get advice but still listen to my own instinct yeah. and not to ignore it. That's a very important lesson, isn't it? You've talked a bit about your investors and the conversations you've sometimes had with your shareholders and this too is an issue which comes up a lot, I think, where people say, well, it'd be great to manage their business, but actually we've got investors um, who won't let us, uh, or who are demanding short-term returns. So how have you managed to navigate that when you, you describe it really, I think maybe you answered it in a sense of saying, well, look, if we get our purpose right, we'll get, we'll make money. And I suppose, I suppose my question, given that, would be to what extent have your investors over time bought into your belief that a purpose-led business is actually a better business, or do they just tolerate it? <laughs> Um, I'm sure we have both. So I'm sure we have some shareholders who just tolerate it. But equally, I know that we have others who love it. Yeah. You know, they take pride in having invested in a business with a strong purpose that they also believe in. Yeah. You know, I think there are a lot of 
growing sentiment around what we do is something that a lot of people want to feel that they have had a part in. Mm. So I think for for a number of our investors, and we're we're a private company, so not the same as having to report to the markets, but they come from all backgrounds, you know, people from the finance sector, legal, technical, mm. engineers. So it's a very wide group of uh, investors from all sorts of different countries. But I think everybody is acutely aware of the need to come up with solutions that are going yeah. to help to decarbonize different sectors of the economy. So actually, I think now, maybe not a number of years ago, but now I would say they're quite proud yeah. uh, to have backed a company where actually they're probably even proud to tell their children, you know, <laughs> hey, I helped invest right. in a business that is making a positive impact. Right. So yeah. I think, uh, and as a result also, I think they appreciate that they, they're happy well, maybe not all of them, but they're more patient. Yes. Because they know it does take, or they have learned to understand that it takes time to change an industrial process and introduce new technology. Yeah. Yeah. But equally, they appreciate that we're already making an impact. Yeah. You know, so I mentioned earlier the report on the impact on carbon emissions. Well, I think that makes them feel that they're doing something worthwhile yeah. by backing a company like yeah. White Fox. Yeah. So I think it's got better. Yeah. That understanding okay, and yeah. acceptance, and obviously it helps that they see that financially, yeah, 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 <laughs> the sure. two are going together. You know, they they see that what I said about the more successful we are in living our purpose. Yeah. The better returns they will get. Yeah. Yeah. So another question that that you know, is germane to this as well is is that this has to be something which is kind of certainly blueprints view is that purposes. They're not completely immutable. They can change as industries change and environments change. But on the whole, you don't want them to to change every with every strategy. So the purpose kind of sets the long term direction, and therefore it does depend a lot on the beliefs of the leaders of the business and mm. um, whether that happens. But it also needs to be robust to change the leadership of a business. So how confident are you that White Fox's commitment to its purpose? will outlast your tenure as CEO. To what extent, how do you think about that? How do you think about the long-term of the business growth? I think that because it's become quite core to the way we even talk internally, yeah. and when we're making, you know, thinking about decisions and and the way we behave you know, with our customers or suppliers, it's no longer me the one saying it. It's the team talking right. about it. Right. So I would hope that given that and just that constant reinforcement and it becoming part of our language, mm. that therefore it should live beyond me because mm. it's just becomes part of the white fox way. You know, we, mm. we talk about the white fox way right. doing things. So we, you know, our blueprint goes in our job description. Mm. It's from somebody's first step in the company, the first meeting I ever have with any new joiner is about the business, but also the blueprint. Right. And the reaction from any new employee is so positive. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, they really, you see them smiling. Okay. You see them yeah. thinking, wow, I've joined the right company. <laughs> and so a new joiner gets excited by the blueprint. Mm. So I think if I can ensure that, it's not me that's talking about it, but actually the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, uh, and hopefully it will yeah, continue. Yeah. And relations with the board, your board? Yeah. How, how bought in are they to this? Very much so, mm. yes. Okay. Again, it's the language that it's we language, use. Yes. And, yeah. you know, I think when we're thinking about 
a new strategic direction or, or not direction, but initiative, sorry, you know, the four principles and, and the purpose is part of the conversation, you know, like how is this going to advance mm. the blueprint? Uh, our purpose is this blueprint is this in line with the blueprint so so i have definitely in the early days thought are they just saying it because they know that's what i want to hear mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is it just to kind of you know abuse Gillian? but actually increasingly i hear them using it without me saying anything so it's yeah. become much more natural embedded in that thinking as well yeah 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 well so to my mind that's a key a key thing about these things, this and longevity. And I Gillian, thank you so much. That's really insightful and there's lots more we could talk about, but um, I don't want to trespass too much on your time. I've got two final questions to ask you, which uh, zooming out a little bit for okay. White Fox. Yes. So these are more kind of about the system. So what advice would you give an aspiring purpose-led leader? Make sure that the purpose is really genuine. Yeah. You know, don't just think you're writing something up that sounds good or is the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. So therefore, take time to do thinking. You know, yeah, yeah. take time on your own yeah. to really think through what does it mean? What are you saying? What are you really trying just to achieve with that purpose? And together with that, make sure that it's something that you think is achievable. Right. That you're not yeah. just saying something that feels aspirational, yeah. but actually you think that you have the ability with your business, whatever it is, whatever sector you're in and, and whatever you're developing, that actually you can genuinely achieve that purpose mm-hmm. so that it's not just a false aspiration. Okay. Thank you. And lastly, I think we both believe that the world would be a better place if purpose-led businesses became a kind of norm, really. And if you stand back and look at the economic system, if you could weigh more warrant, what one thing would you change in the system to help purpose-led businesses to become more commonplace and to thrive? Is there anything that comes to your mind? I think that we would need to change these financial markets in some yeah. way. Yeah. And actually possibly the political cycle. But I think there needs to be more longev expectation of more longevity for outcome. Yeah. So, unfortunately, with the cycle of quarterly reporting and market updates, the markets expect speed Mm -hmm. and reward it and also punish if you don't hit your number and it's typically hitting your numbers, right? You know, it's all about the numbers. And that probably instills an element of cowardice in Mm -hmm. most boardrooms because you sort of dread not being able to give the right information to yeah. the market and the consequences of that. Yeah. And that probably means that people, are, maybe they fear standing back and being prepared to take, tell the markets that, you know, by, by having a strong purpose, actually that the rewards will come, but they might not come straight away mm-hmm. because I'm going to report to you against my purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas the market just wants numbers, there's an analyst who's been sent to listen and print out a report and <laughs> tell their boss, you know, what they heard, and they're going to the next next kind of yeah. meeting yeah. in yeah. two hours' time. So I think there's an element of the speed expectation within the markets and the fact that even the junior people in the markets are told to look at numbers. 
Mm. So the purpose stuff probably feels all wishy-washy yeah. and they don't know what to do with it. You know, how do I how do I go back to the desk and say how company X is doing if they're just telling me about their purpose? You know, I want to measure, I want to create a model, I want to extrapolate and have a graph. So I, I think that that doesn't help. Yeah. yeah. So without having some structural train change there, mm-hmm. it just continues to foster a similar attitude amongst the entire ecosystem. Short-term measurement. Short-term measurement, yeah. Yeah. And then governmental, yeah, there's a four-year cycle and increasingly there's a two-year cycle because everybody's on election process almost straight away. So government also fails to have enough long-term vision and obviously put those two together and that's the core of our society. And, well, not the core, but they're instrumental in guiding how we live our yeah. How we live as a society. Yeah. Okay. So that would be a very effective use of a magic wand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, Gillian, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and I'm very grateful to you. And good luck with the next phase of White Fox's life. Thank you very much. Yes. It's a different, different phase now, which is exciting. Good. Thanks, thank Charles. You. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blueprint for Better Business podcast. To find out more about the charity, visit blueprintforbusiness.org or use the link in the show notes. And I can be found at charleswickyassociates.com. You can subscribe to new episodes wherever you get your podcasts and do leave us a review. It helps others to find the podcast. Thank you.